It's good to have you all here with us this morning at uh, Midtown Church. Glad you all are here with us. You all fought uh, the, the cold and all that kind of stuff. My favorite was yesterday I saw someone posted uh, a double layer picture on Facebook and it had a picture of Dallas and it said, uh, Dallas had a blizzard. And then the next one was a picture of Denver and it said, and Denver said, how cute. And it was like that much snow and Dallas was like that much snow. It's like, yeah, that's kind of funny. Uh, I'm glad y'all are here with us. It is uh, good to have you here. So uh, Jake Box, our, our lead pastor, he uh, had a long week. Y'all can be praying for him. It's included pink eye in both eyes and then a stomach bug. And uh, so because my cell phone wasn't off yesterday, I'm here preaching with you today. <laughs> but y'all really can't be praying for him just so God would, uh, would uh, help him get back on his feet quickly. It's not fun being sick, as y'all know. And all that good stuff. But today we're going to get to uh, wrap up the series that he's been taking us through. Uh, many, I know most of y'all have been here with us through this series uh, called Grow, the Nature of Discipleship. And in this, we've been looking at different things that God uses to help grow our faith or our trust in him. And so we looked at like, okay, this, we kind of had a little bit of a list here. And we haven't said like this list, like you turn to this one passage and all five of them are in there. You certainly see these things throughout the pages of the Bible, and probably if each one of us here could stop and tell, you know, some of our story, maybe even currently, you know, for certainly in the past, some or, or many of these things would probably show up. You know, you, as, as you get to know one another and hear faith stories, like, these elements show up. And uh, so those have been, do we, I think we've got a list of them up here, um, practical biblical teaching, like the role that God uses of people uh, of looking at his word and how it helps shape our life. Um, personal relationships. I'm sorry, uh, did I say those right? Private disciplines, providential relationships, personal ministry. And today we uh, are going to look at kind of this last one here, which is called pivotal circumstances. And uh, of course, it's a good P word, but uh, God using life <laughs> to, to show up in, in unexpected ways to grow our faith. This is, this is kind of the focus of our, of our topic today. And so like some of y'all could probably tell some, um, some positive stories. Like one of the ones I just said that I would point back to in my life that would, I would say in that way was in ninth grade was the very a summer before going to ninth grade was the very first time I went on a mission trip. And I went down to uh, just across the border in Mexico. It wasn't even all that far away. You can go other directions from Austin and Texas and drive further, and you're still in our country. You know what I mean? They're not that far away, but it wasn't the, the distance. It was the nature of the week and just how God used it. Very shaping week uh, in my life in a really positive way. Some of y'all would have some stories like that. But others of you will have ones, and I would say, I would venture to say more often than not, the pivotal circumstances that really kind of grab you and get your attention are the hard ones, right? They're the hard circumstances. You might even say like negative, the ones that you and I would never sign up for. In fact, if we hear that that's the line, we, I'm going to get out of this line, right? Like uh, these are not the things you're, you're, uh, you're going to pursue. We're going to pursue, right? And yet, here's what we're going to look at today. It's a little uncomfortable, honestly, and um, Jake conveniently gets sick on all of these weeks. <laughs> I'm giving him a hard time, of course. God behind the hard things often, or at least using the hard things. 
And that's, that's what we're going to get a chance to look at today, how God does that. It's, it's, it happens a lot of ways. Um, C.S. Lewis probably, probably said this best. It's probably a familiar uh, quote. This is from his book, The Problem of Pain. He says, uh, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Um, I know some of you can relate to that just right off the bat when you look backwards or maybe even something you're in the, in the midst of now. Um, I know that's been true uh, for, my, for my story, that God just, just uses those. Uh, to me, if you're, if you're like me, you're going to ask, well, why, you know, why is it the painful moments God uses to get our attention? You know, I, I'm sure I don't know the answer to all that in full, but some of those are just that, that those are the moments that often awaken us to how much in control am I really, you know, of my life. Um, and they, and they help me realize like, okay, I've, I've been maybe operating for a stretch here under a bit of an illusion that I was in control. Right. And it helps me to see the, that I'm not. And they make me very dependent right? These painful circumstances. So it's not unusual for, you know, for, for any of us, you know, but I, I probably get to hear a lot of them, of, of faith stories, for people to talk about a big event, uh, maybe a string of events that uncomfortable that, that God ends up, in hindsight, especially using in a big way uh, in your life. Um, this isn't new, though. In fact, let me just draw your attention. This is, this is James, uh, you know, Peer of Jesus writes this, a very familiar and helpful passage. If, you're, if you've gone through or are going through, we'll go through the hard stuff. And this is uh, James chapter 1. He says this. He says, uh, consider it pure joy, my brothers. So meaning he, he's talking to Christians here, people who've got the anchor of a relationship with God through Christ. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, why be, why be joyous here? Because you know that the testing of your, what's the word here? Faith. That's what we're talking about, right? What's God using to grow our faith? The testing of your faith produces perseverance. A persevering faith. And let perseverance finish its work so that you'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So God uses these hard and big things uh, in our life, these circumstances that we would love to avoid and we'd never sign up for to point us uh, to point us back to Him, or at least He can and He wants to. We'll say it that way. Now, uh, one of the things you might ask, you know, it, it's the hard question. Um, I, I'd kind of rather leave alone, honestly. Does uh, God cause the uh, hard things? Does God use the hard things? Um, yes. <laughs> and Jake will tell you more next week. <laughs> Here's what I can tell you for sure. He uses them. Sometimes you look at the pages of Scripture and, and, it, and it shows God behind it. Other times it, it appears uh, in his sovereign control, he allows it and the hard stuff surfaces. But in either way, he's using it. That's what I really want you to, you know, I, I, these are hard questions, right? And, and I, they are, I get it. They've been hard questions for me personally. Um, but that God is going to, he, he's wanting to, to wield his power to, you might just say leverage his work uh, in our life through this hard stuff. And uh, this has been uncomfortable, uh, to, you know, kind of idea there. Um, it, it's hard, you might say, to believe in, like, I really struggle to believe in a God who would, you know, and, and we could probably fill in several blanks there, right? 
Um, and when you, if you, when you get into the Bible personally, you don't just you know, take secondhand conversations. When you get into your, to yourself, it, it forces us into some, some categories that our minds like to separate. And we're going to see that today. So today we're going to camp out in John chapter 11. Uh, if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to turn there. If you don't own one, we would love to put one in your hands. In fact, we've got a resource table out here. Uh, there's Bible. Just take it as a gift. It's yours. encourage you to read it, to engage it yourself, to ask the hard questions of it. Get into it. That's been so helpful for me personally to, to do that. And today as we look at John chapter 11, we're just I just want to kind of walk through it together. And this might be a little bit of a different, um, well, at least for me, a little bit different here. If you know this story, and many of you will, I just want to kind of encourage you to kind of stay with us. Because what I want to do is, to the best we can, to put ourselves in the shoes of uh, the players in this story. Uh, and kind of know uh, to, to what we can vicariously, to a bit of experience what they are. And I think some of you who've, who've had some hard stuff or maybe you're in the midst of, of something right now, you'll, you'll easily be able to fill some parallels here. Like, but this is John chapter 11. Let's start in verse uh, 1 and 2. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord uh, when she wiped her feet with her hair. So, close friends of Jesus. That's what you can take away from this, the beginning of the story. Here you've got a couple people who are in, actually in Jesus' life. In fact, he's been in their home. You'll see this in other places in the Gospels. He's dined with them. Uh, they were actually supporters. Uh, Mary and Martha uh, were like financial supporters of his ministry. You'd hear Jesus elsewhere say he had no place you know, to lay his, he- his head uh, he spent a lot of his three years itinerantly. Um, they, they were people like involved in his life. They were friends of his, right? Um, verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. This is, now this is really amazing, I think, because this is the same John. We're reading John here. This is the same John who back in chapter 3 uh, um, held up the first end zone uh, football end zone poster board, the uh, John three sixteen, right? He says God loves everyone, right? And yet, he, and, and it's true, He does. But here He's saying that in in some unique way, that uh, the one you love, He has this special love for Lazarus, so that Mary and Martha can send this message, which I take it here to be a bit cryptic, like the message doesn't come with a name, but they know He'll know who they're talking about. The one you love is sick. Right, there's, there's, this isn't just an acquaintance, right? There's a, a closeness here, a special kind of unique love that I think Jesus had for his, his friend here. Uh, and they're close, and he's sick. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is. This is a little uncomfortable. This is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. This is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. This is what I'm talking about here. This is a little bit of the, the category, I think, that the Bible kind of pushes into our, our life if we'll engage it and, and, and read it, especially read you know, Jesus here, that he's trying to create for us. Um, this is the one we wouldn't pick, right? Like, God, I would prefer a different kind of glory. <laughs> Maybe that football one where I was the guy who caught that went, touchdown, and, and I, I'll kneel, I'll point up, you know. It was all... That's the kind of glory like I would sign up for, right? But not this kind of glory. The kind of glory where Jesus allows a friend, Jesus who has the power here, allows a friend uh, 
and says that it's, his sickness is for God's glory. But he creates this category for us. And he says, no, this is for God's glory so that the Son may be glorified through it. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her, and her sister and Lazarus. In case we missed it the first time, this is John reinforcing to us here just how Jesus feels about Lazarus and, and, and his sisters, right? In case, in case we missed it, right? That he loves them. But here's the hard part. We, we would assume uh, that if this is true, he's going to rush out and he's going to do something about it in the moment, right? I mean, that's what we would think. God, if Jesus loves him, and this is his friend and he's sick, he's going to rush off and do something about it. That's not what we see here. Look at verse 6. So when we heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now here he's doing like exactly what we would think he would not do, right? I mean, this doesn't make sense. If we're tracking, you know, with Jesus' claims of himself, that he's, he says he's God the Son, and he loves Lazarus, and he's powerful, right? This verse, it, it just, it's a head-scratcher of a verse, right? It's, but like, I'll say this on a side note. You know, like if any of you have ever had these questions, like kind of wrestling over the authenticity of uh, like the New Testament documents, especially the Gospels. Like this one, this to me, because uh, I've, I've kind of wrestled with that a bit, is like a reinforcer because I would not tell the story this way, <laughs> right? I'm not going to uh, draw out the, the main player of the Christian faith uh, in, in this kind of way, right? Like it's um, very authenticating for me. Um, he stayed where he was two more days. Verse 7. And then he said to his disciples, after two days, let's go back uh, to Judea. Now, Judea takes him back to Bethany, where you know, Lazarus and the sisters were. Now, an important deal, though, that you have to hang on to is, earlier in John, and you see it in the other Gospels as well, when Jesus has been in Judea, um, <laughs> last time he was there, uh, he, the, the people from that community actually tried to stone him. And so... Uh, his disciples, who you know traveled with him as his posse, were very—they uh, probably would not have forgotten that, right? Um, and you've got uh, guilt by association kind of a thing going going on in their mind. I'm thinking here, um, those, those people were hostile, and you're saying Jesus, uh, okay, we didn't understand why you dragged your feet, but if you're going to drag your feet, let's just like do it. Let's just drag our feet all together, right? And now you want to go back there and you to this area where they were hostile. Um, in verse eight, uh, but Rabbi, they said. Again, these are people that later, uh, people are going to name their kids after. These great heroic heroes of the faith. Uh, A short while ago, uh, the Jews tried to stone you and you're going to go back? (laughs) A little bit of trembling in their voices, right? Um, It's hard not not to hear it in there. Uh, Now, I think they're trying to make it sound like they don't want anything bad to happen to Jesus. Um, I think if you've read the Gospels enough, you can probably know there's a little more fear going on here than, than, it, might, than it might sound like in their voice, right? Um, and he's saying, yeah, uh, he's, he's ready to go back. Verse 11 and 12, he's, um, and he had said this, uh, hang on, am I at the right spot here? Yeah, after he had said this, uh, he, went up, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has been asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. 
I mean, isn't this what your mom tells you, like, when you're growing up, uh, or, you know, our grandmother or whatever, like, you're sick, the best thing for you is sleep, and you're like, whatever, it's, I'm home from school, like, I want to do something, I'm, I had a fever, yeah, but, uh, but you did sick, sleep, right, and so that's just kind of what they're tracking with here, and uh, they, another excuse to not go up there, but Jesus here, look, verse 13, says Jesus had been speaking of his death. His disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But wait a second, you know, Jesus, don't you love Lazarus? Why didn't you heal him? We've, we've been sitting here for two days, uh, you know, throwing logs in the campfire here, dragging our feet. Like what, you know, what's, what's going on? Um, you didn't even go to his house, you know, couldn't she have healed him? Couldn't, she, couldn't we have gone there and pre- prevented it? I don't know how you learned this, Jesus, but couldn't you have done something differently here, you know, in this, in this circumstance? Um, I don't understand. And Jesus says something, and I think perhaps one of the stranger verses in the Bible, and certainly in the Gospels, that's verse 15. He says this, And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. What? Uh, our sake? I mean, what about Lazarus' sake here, right? What about, what about Mary and Martha? Like, they're, who slowly, it appears, got to watch their brother die while we were here seemingly doing nothing, sitting in this town by ourselves, dragging our feet. Uh, and now you're saying, I'm glad I wasn't there. I mean, this is a perplexing statement of Jesus, is it not? I mean, uh, seriously, I mean, think about this. I mean, what, what's going through their minds? What are they, they're, they're probably wondering back to him, what, you know, Jesus, what are you thinking? I, I, this doesn't make any sense. But I think, like, if you'll pause, and if you'll think to some of your own stuff. I mean, last uh, fall, you know, Jake did this series. Some of y'all remember the In, in the Meantime series. And what do, that's the moment you live in if you're going through something hard, right? Where... Uh, it's hard, and you're wondering where God is and where his power is going to show up in your life. And he can feel very absent. He can feel uh, that he doesn't care, right? I mean, this, this is not an unfamiliar moment um, if you live very many years at all. Um, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. It, seem, it seems a bit cruel. It seems a bit unfeeling. It's a perplexing statement of Jesus. But he says that next here. He says he's going to give us a so that. And these are are a couple of kind of pairs of words in in the Greek that kind of give us purpose, explanation, the reason why, you know, so that. Here's what he's saying. So that, I'm glad it wasn't there, so that you may believe, have faith, increased trust. He's telling him. He's telling him why he's been doing this very strange, unique thing. So wait a second. I think they would say, like, so belief in you, trust in you, is that big of a deal? Yeah, yeah, it is. Like learning how to rest all of my, my well-being, of my person, of my soul in you, even when it doesn't make sense and it appears that you're absent and uncaring? 
having trust in you in those moments is that big of a deal? Yeah. Yeah, it is. This is what Jesus is trying to put his finger on here. So that you may believe. Verse 21. I'm going to skip down to there. Verse 21. Um, they, go, uh, they go to Bethany. And this is, this is uh, their arrival here. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She knows. She knows his power. She's seen how he sealed people so many other times before. She probably heard about the story of that lady that even, you know, in the middle of the busy courtyard, even just brushed his, his uh, clothes or whatever, and she was healed and heard all these things, right, and saw plenty of them themselves firsthand. They were close. They were friends, right? And she knew. Jesus, if you'd been here, uh, you know, he, w- he wouldn't have died. Why didn't you? I thought you loved us. Well, uh, thought, I thought we were special to you. you. You knew our names. Thought you cared. Where were you? This is amazing, though, verse 22. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Wow, this is a, this is a big statement coming from her mouth, right? She's, she, she just lost her brother. She lost her brother thinking that he, she might not have lost him had Jesus been there on time. And yet, this is amazing what she says. I know because of how you, who you are with the Father. <laughs> I'm beginning to, to put some pieces together here about your identity and your power and who you are. I know because of that relationship you have with him, God will do, the Father will do whatever you ask. That's amazing. Amazing response. And Jesus says in verse 23, uh, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, well, I know he will rise again in the resurrection uh, of the, at the last day. And this is, this is Martha kind of pulling some good uh, like Jewish facts out of her theological box. Uh, because this, was, this is embedded in, in Jewish teaching that it, at the end uh, of, of time that God would, would cause resurrection, especially of the righteous. And so she's thinking this future day, right? Like Jesus uh, is going to be able to, this is going to happen. Like it won't be the last time she'll see uh, her brother, right? This, that's kind of what's going through her mind here. And while that's, while that's, that's true, um, that's not what he says. Verse 25, he, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He's saying, this is, big, this is bigger than you think. You have confidence that God will give you what you ask for, but it's, it's, it's bigger. Uh, it's a bigger deal than that. You know I'm the one sent by God, but it's bigger than that. You know what no one else is able to do, um, but it's even bigger than that. He's saying he's the resurrection and the life. He's resurrection. Yes, you, you could say in, a, in the Bible's form it is an event that happened, and, and even in Jesus' own life, right, we point to a literal physical event that happened. But he's saying here, he is that gateway. Resurrection isn't an event so much it is, as it is a person, uh, the God-man himself. And what he's saying to them here is, I, I want them there to believe. He's saying to, the, to them, I want you to believe so, so that you will know I have the power to do both. <laughs> I'll have the power to do what you're thinking I, I, I'm talking about. That one day that Lazarus won't remain dead, uh, that he will be resurrected in, in the end. And that thousands of years later, 
we'll have a chance to hear and have our faith increase as well. But in order for you and the entire world to believe, not that just there's a resurrection, but that I am the resurrection and the life, I had to create this pivotal circumstance so I could show off my power, so I could leverage it to, to increase your faith. It's what, it, it's what he's in, in saying to them. He, he finishes that verse saying, I'm the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, believes in. This is, this is a, the, the New Testament's way of conveying trust, to, put, to believe in, to put your belief in something. It's to trust, to give it weight, to give it uh, authority in your life, to, to rest in it. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. Yes, even though uh, you didn't answer my first prayer (laughs) and come when Lazarus is still alive. Uh, Yes, Lord, even though these last few days were probably absolutely unbearable and hard to face and I would never want to go back to them. Uh, Yes, Lord, I believe you're the resurrection and the life and that whoever trusts in you will live even though they die. So next that they take Jesus actually down to the tomb. I don't know how far it was from the house. Um, there were still mourners there. It's kind of how they did it culturally. Friends, people from other villages, people that knew him, family members and the like. They'd come back, right, to be able to uh, mourn with the family and be there for several days. They're still there at the tomb. And Jesus uh, says, like, let's, uh, let's roll, roll this you know, whatever this rock away is. Probably not too different of a, of a tomb setup, really, that Jesus would, in just a short time, be in himself. You know, probably like, hang on, like, we didn't just put Lazarus in here a few hours ago. Uh, like, yeah, there's an embalming deal, but like, it's been, it's, it's been like several days now. You want this thing moved? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> want this thing moved, right? And so they, they do. They roll, roll uh, tomb away. Um, verse 35. Such a powerful verse, so helpful. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, well, well couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man have, have kept this man from dying? They're, they're asking the same questions, right? If, where was he a few days ago? This, uh, yeah, he loves him, but maybe this would hold, be a whole different circumstance, right? Verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called, you know, t- toward the tomb in a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus speaks, Lazarus comes out of the grave. The Bible says that a dead man walked. Uh, He came back to life. And this is how it ends. Uh, Verse 45, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, here's that word, believed in him. They put their trust in him. The the weight of of, of their life, they rested, began to rest more uh, in, in him than was before, right? God was using this, this circumstance. This is an unusual one, right? 
But God was using this, and, and John recorded it for the, for the building up even of our faith. God uses these hard moments where he's apparently absent, apparently uh, unfeeling, to, to leverage our, our trust in him in those moments that, that feel very isolated, that feel very alone, right? And yet, God's at work. He's, he is in them, and he's in, in, in your life and my life with you, even, even in the middle of those. You point back to when you're, when you're missing those, what, like, what do you do beyond hearing, hearing a story of even Jesus being working in Lazarus' life? I mean, what's the whole, what's the whole thrust of the, for sure, the Gospels point us towards? It points us towards a, a different death, right? And a different resurrection. It points us to Jesus as his own. Um, that when, you, when you're in those moments where, gosh, I, he, God feels so far away, you know? He doesn't, is, is he really here with us? Is he really with me? Does he really love me? The Bible always points us back to an event, and to a person. I mean, we could say several events. This one it would be included. But it, it points us back to Jesus' own death and resurrection, right? That it, in, in history, in space and time, that his death and his resurrection literally happened. And it's that period. <laughs> yeah, it's that uh, nail that's kind of driven into... Uh, you know, something firm that, that's kind of an anchor, right, that you can hold on to, to, to say, you know what, my, my moment feels very lost, feels very confused, I feel very alone. I'm, if I was to look at my circumstance and my current happiness or any of those things right now, like I, would, I could question like the whole, the whole of it, right? And it's where, it's where you, okay, where do, where do I take my mind and where do I take my heart? Where do I put my trust in in those moments, Right? And to point it not only to Jesus' work here with Lazarus, and, and I think there's so much we can learn here and put ourselves in the story, but to, t- but to go even further to Jesus' own cross and say, uh, as Paul said later, he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not, along with Jesus, give us all things? The, the Bible constantly looks back to the cross of Christ as the anchor for our souls as the thing we can point to to say this moment is confusing it's really overwhelming and I want out but God's not absent he's here in it and I know he loves me and I know he loves me because he gave up his life for me I've told you on some some other messages I think a few of my own uh, pivotal circumstance stories um so today I kind of wanted you to have a chance to hear, hear a different one. Um, uh, ask uh, one of our own here to come kind of tell a bit of, of story that she's had a chance to gain some perspective on. Um, a pivotal circumstance story. Now, uh, Kathy, uh, why don't you go ahead and come up. I want to invite up Kathy Miller. You've probably heard the illustration of, about uh, Christians that were like pumpkins. We're out in a field and we're in the mud and God goes in and picks us out of the field and cleans us up inside and out and he puts a new face on us and he puts his light inside so people can see what he's done in our lives. So uh, part of my story today is about the family, uh, the, the pumpkins that I'm 
joining. Uh, I grew up attending a Christian church, and um, I didn't know Jesus during that time, but I thought I did. Uh, when I, after I married, I switched to a Baptist church, and uh, that's when I first began to hear about the gospel. Uh, everything went okay in my life, I thought, for um, the first 10 years, and then I became sick and was sick for almost a year. And then um, at that point, my husband decided he didn't want to be married anymore. Well, I was just devastated. Um, I went to a couple in our church, and they told me that I needed a personal relationship with Jesus, and that's when I accepted Jesus into my heart. The couple counseled me to help me start trusting God in my circumstances. Um, My husband stayed around for another couple of years while I finished college and got a job. And um, those two years were not good at the home front. It was a hard time. And I finally realized that God was present with me and that he was doing some work when I graduated from college and passed the CPA exam. So then my husband left. Well, that was another crisis. Uh, It didn't take long for me to realize that he wasn't ever going to come back. And I was just overwhelmed with that prospect. It was just too much. And uh, at that point of my pain, God gave me Hebrews 11, 6. Uh, And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. At that point, I was able to make a decision that I was going to believe what God said. I was in a church in central Austin at that time, and here I'm back in central Austin again. Um, I decided I wanted to become a counselor. They were holding a counseling course for 12 weeks, and I thought, oh, this is great. I will go and learn how to help ladies so they don't go through what I've been through. Well, it was only the first or second meeting I was there, and I realized that I was the one who needed counseling. So I went for help and started getting help to grow in my faith. Uh, Within eight months, my husband moved away and remarried. Well, that was pretty final. That was 36 years ago. What is amazing is that God has proved faithful uh, to me through all these years. He not only met all my needs, but he's been growing me in ways that I never thought possible, like standing up here and giving my testimony. I could not have done this years ago. Uh, When I was afraid and vulnerable, my security was all gone. God was there. And I thought I'd give you a couple more examples that showed me that God was there. Um, The same year of my divorce, God sent someone to teach me, help me learn biblical principles of finance. So I was able to get free of debt by 1989, and then I learned to help others with finances and taught some budgeting and career planning classes. And also served as a counselor at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. And during that year, we had 25 people come. Uh, to know Jesus through our ministry. When I lived in resources, and we had, uh, I'm sorry, when we lived in Pflugerville and we had water restrictions, I would pray for rain. And twice God had rain fall on my house and nobody else's. (laughs) Also, a tornado came down the street and it hit like six or seven houses. Didn't touch my house, but I had all the shingles from these people's houses in my yard. Uh, when Hill Country Bible Church Pflugerville started uh, the South Church, I, I went down there for two years and helped start that church. Uh, because of the contacts in my job at that time, I was able to invite 100 women to our Christmas, uh, I forgot what they call it, a Christmas dinner. And there were 37 who actually came and heard the gospel shared with them. Um, 
several weeks ago, I was in a, an intense spiritual battle, and Jesus walked up to me in my dream to let me know that he was there and he was fighting the battle for me. Back in 1979, uh, God also gave me that desire to become a counselor, and uh, that's when I was attending that uh, counseling class. Well, now he's bringing it to fruition. Last year, I was able to start a a class to become a a certified biblical counselor, and I will finish that course this year. I can look back now and know for certain that God meant the hurts and the struggles in my life for good and to grow my faith. It wasn't just at that one point in time, but he has continued to do that. He put me in his family of pumpkins so that I would have the support and help that I needed but also that I would learn my purpose in life was to love and serve him as well as love and serve others. So in spite of our weaknesses and our pain, God can still use us to grow in our faith. Awesome. Thank you, Kathy. At the end here, we're going to have a chance to just kind of reflect on um, the truth of God's word here invite you to kind of take your mind back to um, back to the ultimate story of the cross and reflect back on what Jesus went through on your behalf, on my behalf. The Bible tells us, Hebrews tells us that um, talking about Jesus, that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, that he knows them, he knows pain, he knows suffering. He went through the ultimate suffering, not just physically, but that also led him to complete separation from the Father for, for us, right? Let your mind go back there and think of, think on he who, who gave up at such cost his own life to be able to invite you and I to be a part of his family and to be able to trust him in our hard stages and seasons. Just spend a moment just quietly reflecting before the Lord. Lord, thank you for your presence with us, even through struggle. God, we do live in a broken world. we know is a a big part of of that struggle. God, it is not more powerful than you. Um, Thank you for this truth. I pray that you would help each of us to wrap our hearts and minds around it, that uh, God, you are in it. You're in it with us and you're using it to make us beautiful, to make us like your son. As James says, uh, to create perseverance maturity in our lives. God, help us to trust your good and powerful hand. Help us to trust you, Lord. Amen.